Chapter Eighteen of the Broken Rosary by Grace and Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Eighteen. At ten o'clock Wednesday morning, five days after the murder of Duffield and Wally Brighton, Dan O'Hara ran up the stairs to the second floor of the Merchant Dispatch. He headed straight for the photographer's studio to have copies made of the pictures of Frank and Kim Cutler. Dan felt sure that once Wilkes had his hands on the originals, he'd never let them go. Without further delay, Dan went to Dove's desk to show the pictures and tell his story. The editor's eyebrows raised momentarily as he listened, even though he was a man for whom life rarely held any surprises. "'You've got a bear by the tail, Dan,' he said quietly. "'You've got to be sure of yourself, or you could be in for trouble. Remember, the dispatch had nothing to do with this if these men are arrested.' unless they are proven guilty dan added with a smile that's right then we'll give credit where credit is due to the merchant dispatch dan laughed okay now i gotta run i want wilkes to see these pictures right away maybe he can get that confession for you before press time dove nodded and turned back to his work once outside the dispatch office dan hurried to the police station as fast as his limp would permit from just inside the door he called to the desk sergeant. Where's Wilkes? The sergeant turned from looking out the window. Out. Get him back here. I've got evidence on the Woolly Brayton and Duffield cases. Yeah? That's right. Hurry up, will you? The sergeant shook his head. Wilkes would chew the skin off me if I call him in from what he's doing on a false alarm. Tam pushed her with both hands against the high desk at which the sergeant usually sat. Look, pal, this isn't any false alarm, and you'd better get Wilkes in here pronto, or he'll do more than chew you up. He'll see that you're sent home for a couple of days' rest, without pay. The sergeant thought over what Dan said, and then walked into the adjoining room. Within a minute he was back. I put out a general call for him, and, brother, you better be right. In less than five minutes, Wilkes walked into the station, followed by Detective Davis, he looked from Dan to the desk sergeant. What's up? Dan says he has the dope on who killed Brighton and Duffield, the sergeant said. He insisted on seeing you. Wilkes looked Dan over and nodded. Let's go up to my office. At the detective bureau, Wilkes dropped wearily into the chair at his desk and told Davis to shut the door. Then he said to Dan, Okay, what have you got? Dan told of his trip to Harlow, the story of the Cutler brothers' hold-up and murder, and then brought forth the pictures as well as the letter of identification signed by Mrs. Wood and Mr. Burt, which he spread out on the desk before the detective. Wilkes half rose from his chair in astonishment. You sure of your facts, Dan? What more do you want? Dan said as he pointed to the pictures. You can recognize both of them at first glance. I read the account of the hold-up and murder in the Harlow News of April 17, 1921, and here's a letter of identification. I wouldn't say Mrs. Wood alone would be responsible, but the editor of the Harlow News, Mr. Burt, sure is. Wilkes dropped back into his chair and let out a long sigh. We've sure got to handle this one with kid gloves. We can't go right out and arrest two prominent citizens on just what we've got here. Everyone in town would be hooting at us if we pulled a boner. Nobody loves a cop anyway. Wilkes paused and then added, We'll bring them in, and they deny that these are pictures of them. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're pictures of two other men. Then where are we? Right in the middle of a mess. 
false arrest in the works. He tilted back in his chair. We'll edge into this easy like. It pays off in the end. For a moment, stillness filled the room. Then Wilkes removed the phone from its cradle and dialed a number. Mr. Short? After a pause, he said, I'm filling out a report on everyone who was in the Merchant's Bank building the night Mr. Brighton was killed or committed suicide. It's just a routine we do in all cases of this kind. I wonder if you could drop over to my office for five minutes or so. Good. My office is on the second floor. In less than five minutes, Art Short entered the detective bureau. After a nod to Wilkes and Davis, his glance moved to Dan. What are you doing here, O'Hara? Wilkes looked up and forced a smile. Just a nosy reporter. This is his regular hangout. We really ought to charge him parking fees. Since this won't take long and involves nothing confidential, we'll let him stay, okay? Short made an unintelligible grunt and nodded. He seated himself beside Wilkes' desk. With an easy movement, Wilkes picked up his pen and looked at the realtor. What's your full name, Mr. Short? Arthur Edward Short. Where were you born? Short worked his lips for a moment. Far off a freight train rattled noisily over a grade crossing. I see no connection between where I was born and Mr. Brighton's death, Short said. Rather a silly question, don't you think? Of course, if you object. Oh, I'm not objecting. Well, then? Again the pause. Millwood, Illinois. You went to grade school there? Wilkes asked. Yes. And high school? Certainly. What class did you graduate with? Class of 1921. Wilkes made the proper notations as Art Short gave his answers. Where did you live in Millwood? That is, street and number. We moved several times. Let's say, where did you live while you were in high school? Short hesitated, and his hands tightened into fists on his thighs. I feel I must object to this sort of silly questioning. If you've got some worthwhile questions to ask, why ask them? Well, this sort of dribble can take up hours and hours. I'm a very busy man, Mr. Wilkes. Wilkes tapped the paper with his pen. I'm sorry, Mr. Short, but it's one way we have to protect ourselves from irate citizens, who say we aren't efficient and thorough. You'd be surprised how much criticism we get so we try to have our files as complete as possible. I'll assure you this won't take hours. Just answer the questions will be done in a few minutes. He paused, then asked again, Now, where did you live in Millwood when you attended high school? 1706 Elm Street. Wilkes looked up at Davis. Did you make that phone call you were going to make? No. This would be a good time now, wouldn't it? Use the phone in the other room, please. Davis left the room, and Wilkes turned back to Art Short. Excuse me, Mr. Short, Wilkes smiled slowly. As a citizen, I hope you appreciate that we work too, and try to use all our time to good advantage. Again Wilkes glanced at the notations he had made on the paper. Did you go to college? No. Where did you work after you graduated from high school? Dan noticed the tension leave Art Short. His answers came easily and without protest. After a few minutes, Davis returned, closed the door, and leaned against it. He looked at Wilkes. I made that phone call. Yes? The principal at Millwood High School said no one by the name of Arthur Edward Short was ever in the class in 1921, and there is no 1706 Elm Street. All the streets and avenues in that town are numbered. 
Wilkes looked sharply at the realtor. Well? Short's eyes darted quickly from Wilkes to Davis, then back to Wilkes, before he stood up abruptly. I'll stand for no more of this nonsense. Wilkes' voice was sharp. Sit down, Short. This isn't nonsense. Why did you lie to us just now? That's none of your business. I'm afraid it's very much our business, Frank Cutler. How'd you know? Short dropped back into the chair. Dan saw the flash of white in his eyes as Short realized what he had said. Wilkes reached under a pile of papers on his desk and pulled out the two pictures. He held them up for Short to see. Recognize these? Short gave a gesture that expressed despair rather than words. How'd you get them? Dan picked them up at the home of an old flame of yours down in Harlow, Missouri. We know all about you. We also know that Herb Parker is your brother, Kim. But we don't know is how you got away after the robbery and your life after the time you arrived here in Merton. Want to fill us in? Short leaned forward in the chair, his forehead pressed into his hands. Out of a long silence, he said in a tired, resigned voice, Yes, I'll tell you. Just a minute, Wilkes said. I want a stenographer to take down what you say. Short nodded dejectedly. Nothing mattered any more. The realtor moistened his lips several times before he began. My brother and I planned the Warnock Billings robbery pretty carefully. We didn't intend to kill the treasurer, but he got tough and wouldn't hand over the money bag, so we had to shoot him. It wasn't a difficult picture to get, and Dan got it. Two incorrigible boys, filled with fear and trigger-happy. We got away from Harlow in a hurry in a stolen car. Then we made our way to an island in the Mississippi River where we catch the money. All but about sixty dollars. We picked this island because the government stored dynamite there that the engineers on the river used for blasting. There were signs all over saying that trespassers would be arrested. So it was a good place to hide the money. We buried it in an iron box, which we made watertight by soldering up the seams. Outside, a whistle at one of the factories cried shrilly. Short paused before he continued. We took only a small amount of money, about thirty dollars apiece, and bumped our way out west on freight trains. The Depression was on, so we had lots of company. A good many men were traveling that way in 1921. The reason we took such a small amount with us was so that we wouldn't be under suspicion if arrested for hopping freights. My brother landed a job as a sheep herder in Oregon, and I worked at odd jobs on a ranch in Wyoming for a while. Then I drifted up to Oregon, where I found work on another ranch. After a couple of years, we figured the heat was off, and we went to Chicago. Kim got a job as a clerk in a hardware store, where he worked for a couple years. Then he started his own store. It wasn't big, but he used it as a means of showing profits and feeding the stolen money into the bank. It was easy to do, as the money wasn't registered as it would be today. I went into the used car business for the same purpose. What money we made legitimately was all to the good but our business made it possible for us to bank money seemingly from profits. We were still afraid of being seen together while in Chicago, so we used to arrange over the phone to meet in a movie occasionally. We both married while there. Even now our wives don't know we're brothers. You moved here about twenty-five years ago, didn't you? Dan asked. Yes, I moved to Merton in 1933, and Kim followed a year later. You know the rest. We made good and lived a good life. But then about a week ago, 
old ex-sheriff duffield saw us together on the street and he recognized us he went to waldy brighton with his information brighton questioned us and at first we denied everything short stopped and sat silent for some time the clock on the wall ticked away the seconds finally he roused himself from his private preoccupation we knew it was only a matter of time before brighton would have proof so when he made a proposition to forget all about it for fifty thousand dollars we agreed to pay him the money in five monthly installments the first one due last friday night but afterward in thinking it over we decided he'd keep on blackmailing us until he owned everything we have so we decided to get rid of him and duffield at the same time and up to right now it looked as though we'd made the right decision of course when i went to his office last friday night to kill him he thought i'd come with the first ten thousand that's when i knew we were doing the right thing because he said that he had just decided a few minutes before while talking to his brother sam that he was not going to blackmail us but was going to have us held for the grand jury after brighton said that he looked at me and laughed and then reached into his pocket for a cigarette i don't like people to laugh at me never did and it just burned me up brighton put the cigarette in his mouth and reached in his pocket for his lighter when he pulled it out his rosary bees were tangled up with it while he was busy untangling it i shod him except for the loud ticking of the clock a deep silence filled the room dan broke in by saying then you tried to make it look like suicide short looked up at dan yes i wiped up the pistol and tried to put it in brighton's hand but it wouldn't stay so i left it there as though it had fallen out of his hand to the floor then i went down to the dentist's office and had my tooth pulled what about the memorandum pad did you tear part of that away dan asked yes it hid our names on it wilkes turned to the stenographer you got all this yes sir wilkes turned back to short as i understand it you had dr larkins come down to the merchant's bank building to pull your tooth in order to set up an alibi right yes i had to have a legitimate reason for being in the bank you sure picked a dandy wilkes said wearily then as his eye rested on the pictures on his desk his voice picked up again and did your brother kim cutler known here in merton as herb parker shoot and kill clarence duffield short nodded you'll have to answer yes or no yes wilkes turned to the stenographer read back your notes and have short sign your book then type the necessary copies and have him sign them too he turned to davis arrest herb parker when wilkes stood up to lead art short to his cell the realtor turned to dan i suppose this makes you happy o'hara you've got a big story dan shook his head no i'm downright sorry i have to write it dan looked about the interior of the green parrot tea-room he liked his coziness and cheerful wink of candlelight on silver and copper he had just finished telling mary who sat opposite him at the table about his trip to harlem missouri the confession of art short and the arrest of short and herb parker this place certainly beats stan's diner dan said mary frowned slightly i like stan's diner i've got a big place in my heart for it last saturday night when you sam brighton and i were there was part of the biggest adventure i've ever had she paused a moment i wonder how sam is today 
Haven't you heard? Dan grinned. And I thought you worked for a newspaper. They got word down at the police station just before I left that he's conscious and going to come along okay. I'm glad. He's a grand person. Art Short must feel like an awful heel for trying to kill Sam. Mary laid her napkin on the table. And now, I suppose, we better get back to the salt mine. Dan raised his hand. No hurry. The paper's put to bed. He lighted up a cigarette and sat back in his chair, relaxed. After a minute, he said, You know, Mary, if you were going to be working for the dispatch for more than just a few months, I'd tell Dove to tell Falls that it was really your woman's intuition that helped to solve these murders. Why, Dan, you're the most generous man I know. Mary said, and smiled happily. End of chapter 18 End of The Broken Rosary by Grace and Harold Johnson